I want to welcome you if you're here for the first time this morning. I meant to do that earlier at the very beginning of our time, but I know that some folks trickle in and may, uh, may miss that. So I wanted to save that for now to welcome you, tell you that we are really glad that you're here. If you're here for the first time, uh, I want to invite you. Well, you may have been here a few times and have not done this yet. So I want to invite you, if you haven't done this yet, at the end of the worship service to visit that little table right there. We have, um, we'll have somebody there to meet you with a little packet of who we are or sort of capturing who we are, what we believe, what we're about. Uh, it'll give you some uh, insights into what's important to us. Uh, we don't want to be, um, want to present ourselves or push ourselves as the best church in town. I think churches are different and this may not be the place for you and that's okay. If this is your only visit with us, then we count it a treat and a treasure and we uh, pray for you and your journey. Uh, wherever you land, but we would pray that you land, that you don't just visit and hop and um, bump around from place to place and never really connect. But if the Lord connects you here, um, this will be a good jump start to figuring out who we are. So if you haven't done that, I invite you to do that. If you have done that and uh, you're continuing with us, then it's um, um, pretty cool. We're glad you're continuing with us. I hope that you will connect to life groups. That's um, if you haven't done that yet, you are visiting with us and you've come on some Sunday mornings maybe and you're like, I think we want to take a closer look at this people. I want to encourage you to make the connection to life groups because it's, it's very hard to get to know folks in these few minutes that we have together. Um, most of the time you're listening to me or we're singing back to God or whoever's the preacher. And that's, that's just not really a good way to get to know folks. So making that effort to connect the life groups. And I know that's not easy. Um, I've married the extrovert. Uh, I'm the introvert. I don't enjoy meeting new people. I'm just being really honest. I'm, if I'm meeting you this morning, I'm, I, I mean, I'm just not wired that way. Like, oh, giddy, I get to meet new people. It's, some, it's, a, it's an expenditure for me, and I'm not wired like my wife who loves meeting new people. Um, so I know the hurdle that that can be. I realize the hurdle that that can be to connect to people that you don't know and to step into someone's home, and you don't know if they're going to be like sacrificing chickens or doing something crazy, you know, in there, you know. We won't do any of that, at least as far as I know. Our, none of our life groups sacrifice chickens or snakes or any other thing like that. <laughs> what we do in life groups is we talk about the sermon, and we talk about life together. And um, there are times that are just uh, really honest and open and real. I mean, there's nothing uh, spectacular about them. But um, I find that I need it. The introvert needs it and never leaves life group feeling like, ah, that's something I wish I hadn't done. Never. Not once. So I encourage you in that. Let me pray, and then we're going to climb into our, our sermon this morning. God, first of all, before I pray some specifics about how we spend these next few minutes, I want to pray for another church in our town. I want to pray for Aldersgate Church. Um, I want to pray for the Prettymans, just enjoying, I just have enjoyed knowing Rick and Julie and getting to know their family and getting to know what uh, worship looks like in their lives. Uh, I love their heart for adoption, Lord. I love their heart for the church, their love for you, their love for one another. Uh, it's been just a really, uh, it's been a treat to share uh, a ministry here in this context with Rick and Julie and with Aldersgate. Lord, we want to lift up Aldersgate this morning knowing that they are uh, going to be um, working through some decisions that are coming up in the next few weeks. I just pray that you would just guide them in that, that ultimately that um, they would look back and see that you had um, a sweet uh, work going on in their church family, growing them closer together through decisions, 
uh, I think we all can appreciate that a lot of times when churches have to make some decisions, it's a, sadly an occasion for um, division and um, people taking sides. And uh, we pray that you would guard them from that, that they would sense um, your peace, that they would experience your peace as they make some of these decisions together uh, for the future of the church. Thankful for the ministry of Aldersgate. So many people are, uh, so many families and people have been grown up in and under the ministry of Aldersgate. Uh, it's a real treat for us to lift them up this morning. As a sister church, Lord, we pray that you would do a great and mighty work through them and continue the great and mighty work that you've already been doing, that they would have uh, good problems like seating capacity issues and parking issues and um, nursery issues and uh, the kind of things that we all beg for and hope for, uh, we beg for for them. I pray that you would be glorified in and through their work. Lord, I'm uh, thankful for uh, how we're going to spend these next few minutes. I'm thankful that we have an opportunity to consider together today something that's true. And I, I'm thankful that, that it's not in vain how we spend these next few minutes for one reason only, because Christ's tomb is empty. And he is seated and reigning and ruling with you, Father. We enjoy that. We enjoy the vacancy of that tomb, the reality of the message. I want to uh, unpack and expose your word this morning as if it's an oracle from you. And I pray that you would speak to your people this morning, that you would equip us, uh, that you would um, encourage us, that you would guide us. Lord, it's a weird time right now with social media and the many, many, many posts uh, having to do with political stuff or terrorism or one thing after another that could really make folks anxious. Lord, I pray this people, as a result of the weekly diet that we have together, would just be steady and peaceful, that we wouldn't be anxious, knowing that we're not living for the decisions that are being made here that we are not putting our hope and our trust in who our president is or isn't, that our hope and trust is squarely placed ultimately and only on you. God, I pray this message this morning would fuel even more of that. We love you, Lord, and we entrust this time to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I met with the teachers of Crosspoint last Sunday. Scott and I met with them for an hour in here. We're meeting with them again today. That's just a little reminder for those of you that are, are teaching at Crosspoint or, or would like to teach, have the, the, the thought that maybe you might have the gift of teaching or would like to look into that. Um, and with these teachers, we gathered some insight into what um, teachers over the years have done to make a difference in their lives. It's a cool sort of background preparation for um, I didn't realize what was happening then as it was preparing me to preach this morning in some ways. We're preaching a series of messages on spiritual gifts, and this morning we're dealing with teaching. So the few minutes that I had, that Scott and I had with these teachers last week, was illuminating and something that I think is it we'll consider a few times over the course of the morning. But I want to share with you some of what they shared with me when I just asked one question. Tell me about the teachers in your lives that have made a difference? What did they do? How did they move? Why did it work? That's a lot of, that's three questions, but I summarize that in one question. Here's some answers, responses that I got from them. Teachers that made a difference in their lives loved Christ. They had an energy and an excitement and a passion. 
They cared for the students. And we weren't only talking biblical teaching here. We were talking teaching in general. Okay? They loved every student and their stories. They were honest with their students about their strengths and weaknesses. Not only the students' strengths and weaknesses, but the teachers' strengths and weaknesses. They connected outside the classroom. Good teachers that made a difference in their lives asked tough questions. They pushed the students and taught them to learn. They taught them to think critically. They asked great questions, not just tough questions, but great questions. Great questions that suggested that they had a mastery of the material themselves, the teachers. They taught truth and application. They were approachable and humble in their teaching. They were creative. They were compassionate. They were eager with a posture that often leaned forward in excitement. I enjoyed meeting with these teachers and enjoyed seeing the look on their faces. And I want to invite you this morning as we spend the next few minutes talking about biblical teaching and the spiritual gift of teaching to think together with these teachers from last Sunday about teachers that have made a difference in your life. Maybe it's outside of the church. Maybe it's a teacher just in general that's really made a difference in why. And we want to take those thoughts and those things that made them smile then that I bet warm your heart right now as you think about those teachers that made a difference and consider together what that means in spiritual gifting in the church. I'm going to deal with three things this morning. First of all, who should teach? If you're one of those that takes notes, I encourage you to jot down these three questions because we're going to ask and answer these questions in these next few minutes. I have about five passages I'll take you through as well. Who should teach is the first question. The second question we'll deal with is how important are teachers? And the third thing we'll deal with is what to avoid in a teacher, either one that you're looking for or one that you are, and what to look for in a teacher or what to be in a teacher. Okay, those three things again. Who should teach? How important are teachers? And third, what to avoid and what to look for. The first passage I'd like for you to turn to this morning is in James chapter 3. And I have page numbers for you that will work with your pew Bibles and may work with some of your ESV Bibles. If you carry an ESV, they won't work with all, but they'll work with a lot of them. And the page number in your pew Bible, that the, I know these aren't pews, I should say that the, the Bible that's in the seat bottom in front of you is page 1012. Page 10, 12. Dealing with the first question, who should teach? James chapter 3, verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness strictness. We're starting the morning off with a passage in dealing with a sermon about teaching with a passage that says not many of you should do this thing that we're talking about this morning called teaching. 
So I guess right now we'll go ahead and dismiss those who don't feel like you have the gift of teaching or don't have any interest in teaching. You can go ahead and go on home and get ready for lunch and um, you're off the hook so you can leave. But not so fast. Another passage I want you to turn to in Colossians chapter 3. On page 984 of your Bible that's in your seat back. Colossians chapter 3. Paul is writing to the church in Colossia and he is encouraging them at this point in the letter with some um, thoughts and guidelines about how to be God's people and how to go about being the church. And embedded in this passage, or embedded in this letter in chapter 3 verse 16, he says this. Remember, keep in mind what I just read from James chapter 3. Not many of you should be teachers. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 16... Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Written to the church together, written to all the members of the church in Colossae. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now you may be reading those two passages and think for a second, well, James has this one view over here, not many of you should be teachers. And Paul has this other encouragement over here to the church in Colossae that all of you should be teachers to some degree, admonishing one another, teaching one another in all wisdom. I want to help you synthesize those two passages. I want to help you make sense of how they seem like they're saying two different things, but what they're saying together can be synthesized in this way. Not everyone should be a teacher with a capital T. Visualize this. Not everyone should be a teacher with a capital T, James chapter 3. But everyone should be teaching, lowercase t, from Colossians 3.16. Not everyone should be a teacher, but everyone should be teaching. This first point, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. I just want to develop this reality that, first of all, it should cause those of us or those of you who believe or feel or suspect that you are gifted in teaching by the Holy Spirit to swallow hard and take it very seriously, knowing that we'll be judged with greater strictness and that not many of you should be doing it. Not many of you should be a capital T teacher. Whether your students are grown or whether your students are toddlers or somewhere in between, you'll be giving an account for how and what you taught. She caused all the teachers, uppercase T in this room, to swallow hard. But it should cause the rest of us to pay attention today, realizing that while not all of us are uppercase T teachers, all of us are to teach. I'm going to show you a beautiful illustration of how those fitting together here in just a moment. But this first question, who should teach? You can answer that with, not many of you should be uppercase T teachers, but all of you should be teaching. Dealing with the second question this morning, how important are teachers? I'll answer that right up front. I need capital T teachers, and I need lowercase teachers. I, Ben McGraw, 
need a capital T or multiple capital T teachers in my life, and I need lowercase teachers in my life as well. And I'll put you in that as well. You need capital T teachers, and you need lowercase t teachers in your life. These series, this series this summer on the spiritual gifts about helping you identify what your spiritual gifting may be so that you, you can go walk in that and you can serve the body of Christ and build one another up is as much about you identifying what God has called you and gifted you to be as it is a series of sermons about what you're to expect of one another. I want you to think about that for a moment because I bet if you're like me, you've been coming at this series so far this summer thinking about what, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to be? Who am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to move? What am I supposed to walk in? Ask some, or let, me, let me flip that around this morning and guide you to the notion that this series of sermon or this sermon series this summer is also to equip you in what to expect of one another. And what we're to expect of one another is some uppercase T teaching and some lowercase t teaching. Turn to Acts chapter 18. It's on page 927 of the Bible in your seat. I need teachers. You need teachers. Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. Let me tell you a little bit about Apollos. We can learn a few things just from this passage. First off, you realize the guy's a Jew, but his name is Apollos. He has a Greek name. He's a Jew with a Greek name from Alexandria, Alexandria, Egypt. It's a strange combination of things in this guy, Apollos. He's like a melting pot of culture of the Roman Empire here, a Jewish guy with a Greek name from Alexandria. And this guy apparently was some, uh, a significant, uh, significantly effective teacher. Some people believe that Apollos is the guy that wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know who the author of Hebrews was, but some people believe that Apollos was the pastor of the church in the Jewish church in Rome and that he wrote the letter Hebrews. This Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. Note that. Competent in the scriptures and eloquent. We might consider at this point putting a capital T next to this guy, Apollos. He looks like a capital T teacher. He looks like he's gifted specially and specifically in the gift of teaching. We could put a capital T next to Apollos. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Aquila and Priscilla, the dynamic duo that you see littered all throughout the letters and the book of Acts. Aquila and Priscilla, who as far as I can tell, never were identified with an uppercase T. 
As far as I can tell, they were never people who were recognized as primary teachers in a church setting, but yet you see them mentioned often. And in this context, I want you to put, or at least if you write in your Bible, or at least visualize this, lowercase t's next to Aquila and Priscilla. Apollos has an uppercase T, apparently specifically and specially gifted in the gift of teaching. He bumps into Priscilla and Aquila, both with lowercase T's. They hear him teach, and they took him aside, and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. First of all, you see a couple things going on there. You see a guy with an uppercase T who is remaining teachable. That's a good thing. That's something to look for in a teacher. Teachability. He's apparently teachable enough to sit down with a couple that he's just met, Aquila and Priscilla, who apparently just have lowercase t's, and to be taught by them more accurately the way of God. Man, you see lowercase t's at work there and an uppercase t listening. And the passage continues. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him when he arrived. And look what happens next. He greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. I drew some arrows in my Bible because I wanted to see how this thing unfold. You got a guy that's eloquent. You got a guy that has some handle on the scriptures who's teaching and speaking accurately. With a big uppercase T. And he bumps into the dynamic duo Aquila Priscilla with lowercase t's apparently, who teach him the way of God more accurately. And the outcome there, you can't miss, that he greatly helps those who through grace had believed as he powerfully refutes the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. When you ask the question, how important are teachers and who needs them? Well, we all need them. Uppercase t teachers and lowercase t teachers. Some of the most profound things that I've ever been taught have been taught to me in a conversation with my children. Have been taught to me by some of you in passing where you didn't even realize you taught me something that I needed to hear that helped me personally understand the way of God more accurately. Who needs teachers? Well, we all do. We all need them. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is another passage. You don't have to turn there unless you're just one of those that has to see the passage in front of you. I'll share this passage with you from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. I'll start in verse 1. Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is a passage that answers the question, who needs teachers and what's the purpose? Is they are about, it's the way that the baton is passed from one person to the next, from one generation to the next, from one teacher to the next. It is how the baton is passed. The way of God is taught we need to teach and we need to be taught it is how the baton is passed it's passed twice in that passage paul says what i taught to you you entrust to faithful men who will then go teach 
as well, because that's what you do. The baton is passed via teaching and trusting to one another the way of God. It is not absorbed. It's taught. It's not absorbed. It is taught. You need it, and I need it. You need to call it a need in your life. For some of you who see it as maybe a less than need, you need to call teaching a need in your life. Something that you need to hear, something that you need to receive, and something that you need to give. We're all called to it, and some of us are specially gifted in it. Dealing with the third question this morning, what to avoid in a teacher and what to look for. We've asked the question, who should teach? Well, not many of you, but all of you. We've asked the question, how important are teachers? And we've answered it with the reality of the realization that they are essentially the, the way the baton is passed through teaching and teachers. But we can consider next something to avoid and then some things to look for. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. On page 996 of your Bible in your seat there. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge to the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is a stiff charge and a stiff warning to Timothy. Preach the word in season and out. Be faithful to reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching and know that the time is coming when people will not endure that kind of teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and he's talking about the time that's coming this is 2000 years ago and from what i can tell and can what i can tell from paul's other other writings is those people who are going to preach just to scratch the itches of people's ears have existed for 2,000 years. Paul is rebuking many of these in the letters. And as far as I can tell, the time has already come. There's been 2,000 years of it, of ear-scratching teachers. Ear-scratching teachers. And this is something to avoid as you're looking for a teacher, as you are a teacher. God's people will gather for themselves, it tells us here, teachers who make them feel good. And the reality we can learn, the sad reality about all of us that we pay, need to pay attention from this passage is that we all have itches that we bring into corporate worship. We all have itches that we bring into context like this, Bible teaching context, itches that we wish, man, I sure wish that teacher or that preacher or that person would sure scratch that one little thing in my ear that's been nagging at me to make me feel better. Every single one of us brings that into every Bible teaching context. And the encouragement there is don't look for ear-scratching teachers. And don't be an ear-scratching teacher. 
God's people are going to gather these kind of teachers for themselves, these kind of teachers that all they're about is to make them feel good. The ones who will only teach to and speak to and preach to felt needs. I want to encourage you with this reality that comes from this warning, that if you sit under teaching and preaching and you never leave a little bit twisted from time to time, then you must be wondering if you are truly hearing the full counsel of God's word, the life-altering, the life-changing, the life-conforming work of God's word in your life. You have to wonder, are you hearing it? Are you paying attention? If you're never challenged and never twisted, If you never see any sparks fly, you have to wonder if that teacher is truly bumping into the life-altering, people-changing word each week. In my experience, change does not come comfortably. And God's word should change you. So don't accumulate for yourself a teacher or a preacher that just scratches your itches. Be okay with, invite, actually, a teacher or a preacher that can make you uncomfortable at times, that can say some things that will challenge you and stretch you. Ear scratchers, in my experience, they don't want to twist. They don't want to offend anyone. They don't want to confront anyone. They don't want to challenge anyone. They just want to give the relief of a good, hearty scratch. But that's not faithful teaching. God's people need teachers who expose God's word, period. Week after week, gathering after gathering. Unpack it, expose it, set it loose to do its terrible and great work. And notice the word that's chosen here that you shouldn't miss. There'll be a time when God's people no longer endure sound teaching. That tells you something about what it's like to not only give sound teaching week after week, but to hear sound teaching week after week is you have to have endurance to do it. If you think it's easy, then you're going to have to go find an ear tickler. That's easy. Preaching sound doctrine and teaching sound doctrine and hearing sound doctrine and walking in sound doctrine week after week after week takes endurance. So what to avoid, first of all? Avoid ear-scratching teachers. And don't be one if you're a teacher. What to look for? Two things is where we're going to end this morning that I would call requirements for faithful teaching Turn to Mark chapter 6. Two more passages for you to turn to this morning. One's in Mark chapter 6, and the next is in Mark chapter 1. Turn to Mark chapter 6. What to look for and what to be is where this is going next. We dealt with what to avoid, and now I want to take us to what to look for and what to be. Page 842. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Jesus had sent out the the apostles, and they're returning. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. He's going to bring these guys back in and give them sort of a time of restoration, a time to decompress after having been deployed. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure to even eat. Rest is a good thing. So this team of missionaries are coming back in to spend time with Christ and rest. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. 
When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And listen to what the Alpha teacher does. He saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down into groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. It's a beautiful passage. It's one of my favorite stories in the Gospels of Jesus feeding the multitudes. And there's a key passage here that gives you some sense of what this teacher, the Alpha teacher, is like. When he went ashore, he saw a great great crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. His love for this people, his recognition even of physical hunger, and his desire to care for them was coupled with teaching. I would call a requirement for an effective teacher is compassion and love and care for the taught. He had compassion for them, so he taught them. A love and attentiveness to people fueled his teaching. When I met with these teachers last week and we talked about some of these things that had, these teachers that had made a difference in their lives, a name came up, a man named Ralph Sanders. You might know the man named Ralph, know that name or know that man named Ralph Sanders. I see a lot of people in here nodding in their head. This guy apparently is like the Chuck Norris of teachers or math teachers. When he teaches students in other classrooms learn, this guy's amazing. When he teaches math, the students learn biology and English. This guy is an impressive teacher. One of the things that I enjoyed as we talked about this guy and why he had made such a difference in their lives is this guy cared for and continues to care, apparently, about his students, past and present. He cared for them, apparently, inside the classroom. And what I think is the best tell of real compassion and love and care for people, he cared for them outside the classroom. Stories of people saying, he walked up to me and called me by name and I hadn't seen him in 10 years. This guy beautifully modeled what we're talking about here. I think there's a distinct difference between teaching a lesson and teaching a student. You hear what I said there? Those of you that teach, those of you who are looking for a teacher, there's a distinct difference between teaching a lesson and teaching a student. And apparently this guy, Ralph Sanders, was good at teaching students. Now take Ralph Sanders and take his care and compassion and genuine affection for students in teaching math. I think that's what they said he taught. And place that same care and compassion and genuine affection behind the truth of the gospel. And then we're talking about an amazing vehicle to make an eternal difference in many people's lives. 
you have to care about who you're teaching more than you even care about your lesson. Teaching the student is more important than teaching the lesson. But I will say this. Compassion alone isn't enough. It's a vehicle for passing the baton, but it's not the baton. It makes the baton easier to receive, but it's not the baton itself. And this is the second requirement of where we're going to spend our last few minutes this morning. For effective teaching, for faithful teaching, is mastery. Mastery of the material. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Just a few pages in front of where we just were. Beginning in verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue. This is Christ entering the synagogue, and he was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Matthew gives a similar account in Matthew 7. says he was teaching them, almost verbatim, as one who had authority and not as their scribes. John chapter 7 has a version that I, I really enjoyed reading. There's a, a moment here where the Pharisees are sending some officers off to arrest Jesus. It says the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things. They're muttering the question, could this be the Christ? And they sent some, some, these officers off to arrest Jesus. And here's how it goes down. The officers come up when Jesus is teaching, and then they come back to the chief priests empty-handed. And here's what it says. The officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? And the officers answered him, no one ever spoke like this man. Man, this guy, it's this, this development here, this, this picture of this teacher, of, of this authority that is otherworldly. The authority of Christ and his teaching went hand in hand. I don't think anyone would doubt that he mastered the material more than anyone before or since. So much so that he left a bunch of officers prepared to arrest him, leave empty-handed. How could we arrest somebody who has so much authority in what he says? I don't think anyone would doubt that he mastered the material more than anyone ever before or since. And he said, in fact, he identified himself as, I am the way the truth and the life. He's also identified in the same letter or the same gospel of John as the word himself. So we would expect that he is the ultimate authority in teaching, being himself the word and himself the truth. He taught with the highest degree of mastery and authority ever heard before or since, and it left people awash. It left them astonished. It left officers empty-handed. This Jesus had mastery of the material because he was and is the authority. And his authority came from who he was and is as the word and the truth and what he taught as the word and the truth. In our case, as Bible teachers, I want to share something with you and be real honest with you. When I was preparing this sermon this week and spending some time on this note, I was preparing and leading, preparing us, preparing to guide us in the direction of, our, in our case, we're different. Okay? He was the authority himself, and his words were the authority. And I was prepared to teach you and, prepare, and equip you with the notion that 
you're not an authority in any way. It's just what you have to say. And I realize as I'm studying, as I'm preparing, that that's not true. In our case as Bible teachers, our authority too comes from who we are and what we teach. They're connected. They're intertwined. You can't distinguish the two. If you can, then you're not going to have something that's effective. If you're a fake, let me help you develop this. If you're a fake, if you're a cheat, if you're a liar, and you yourself as a teacher aren't above reproach, then what you have to say will be hard to hear and will be hard to receive no matter how faithful to the truth that lesson was or is. Who you are makes a difference in the authority of your message. But on the other hand, however fine a reflection of Christ you may be in your life, you will never reflect his character perfectly, not even close. However well studied you may be, you will teach and preach with some error of flaw or some measure of flaw. Just like your life will be some measure that's far below Christ's measure. We are imperfect reflections as teachers of the Alpha Teacher. We are imperfect reflections. But that's the negative side of what I want you to now see on the positive side. What I want you to understand regarding mastery is this. We are to be mastered by the material as our lives are being transformed in front of our students. And we are to be masters of the material. We are to be mastered by the material, and we are to be masters of the material. And I'm not just speaking about those who might be teaching and preaching in corporate settings. I'm speaking to the fathers in this room who are supposed to be teaching and training your children up in the faith. If you are not mastered by the material, and you can be a master of the material, your kids know the difference. If you're a lie and a cheat and a fake, you can say all the right things, but they will have no impact in those kids' lives. Both of those things matter. The authority in what you teach is connected to who you are and to what you say. We are to be mastered by the material as we are masters of the material. We are to be run through as we teach through. Every teacher in this room, I want you to hear that. I want you to understand that. If you are yourself not a student as well and being run through by the lesson and the message, whatever you're teaching, whatever context, then it's going to fall flat no matter how faithful it is to the original truth as if Christ were teaching it. At the same time, I want you to encourage you to give yourself plenty of margin because that could be immobilizing here. What I just said to you could be completely immobilizing because you say, man, I'm frail and I'm feeble and I, I'm, I'm sinful and I have these things I'm working on and these things I'm struggling with, so how could I possibly speak into that situation? I'm big time imperfect. I want to encourage you to give yourself some margin, lots of margin, plenty of margin as you realize that your life is being transformed as you are being mastered by the material, as you are seeking to master the material, and you will never arrive in that transformation. You'll never arrive completely. So give yourself some margin. 
and step out and teach. I realize that those sort of thoughts about mastery can be intimidating to you as a teacher or a potential teacher. Don't be fooled into thinking that you must be well-read to be a master of the material and to be mastered by the material. Don't be fooled into thinking that you have to be seminary trained to speak into the lives of your friends or your family members or your marriage I challenge you. I'm going to challenge you with something this morning. I want to challenge you to think. When you have one of those moments, and I bet you have them. I had them far before the time where I was preaching. I've had them, I've had them all through my Christian life since the age of six. Those moments where I knew I needed to speak into something. Those moments where I knew what was true and I knew what was right and I knew that I had a responsibility to speak into it, but I often didn't. I bet you have those moments as well. When you have one of those moments that you might speak into someone's life, when you feel that tug as a parent or a friend or a workmate, with that tug, you'll probably hear the whispered lie that I heard so many times, you know nothing, you should just button it. I challenge you in that moment to look back at the last couple of sermons that you've heard. Look back at the last couple of sermons that you've heard. And I bet you'll find the goods for that moment. If you'll but look for what God equipped you with just in the days prior, in the weeks prior, you will often find the goods that you need to bring to bear. You do know. You are equipped for it. It's not coincidence that you just heard a sermon that had something to do with the occasion that you're facing right there in that moment within the weeks prior. It happens to me more often than not. I challenge you to look back at the last couple of sermons when you're confronted with that moment. Realize that God equipped you for that moment with the manna that fell just a few days earlier in a sermon that you heard and sat under. And that what you have to speak into, what you have to bring to bear, if you will but connect that dot and realize you were equipped for that moment, will be like apples of gold and fields of silver. It won't always be well-received, but oftentimes it will. And it'll be authoritative because you were equipped for it. I want to encourage you and challenge you to master what you're hearing weekly. Don't waste your time by just showing up and being taught. Master it. Think on it. Study it. Take notes on it. Talk about it as families over lunch. Process it. Spend time on it. Be attentive to those moments, too, when you realize that he equipped you in that moment. He taught you to teach in that moment that you're facing with your children, with your workmates, with your family, with your friends. I promise you, if you will follow this challenge, it will cause you to worship because you'll see God equipped you for something just in time, like manna. It was just enough and right on time. It will cause you to pay attention when this book is taught, I promise you. We dealt with three questions today. Who should teach? Well, not many should be teachers, capital T, but all should teach, lowercase t. How important are teachers? It's how the baton is passed. I need it, and you need it. And what to avoid? Ear-scratching teachers that just are about making you feel good week after week making you feel better than you did when you came in. And what to look for in teachers is two things, I would say, that are requirements. Compassion. 
that the teachers actually care about you. And for you teachers, that you actually care about those you're teaching. That you want to know their name, you want to know their story, you want to connect to them. And mastery of the material as you are mastered by the material. Mastery of the material as you are mastered by the material. Let's pray. God, I feel... um, Um, hard, to, hard to describe how this sermon has felt in preaching um, Lord I feel like I am woefully inadequate in so many of these things that we've been talking about this morning I could be far more compassionate I could have far more mastery of the material I could be far more mastered by the material. But Lord, I pray for myself, with I pray with the rest of this church, that you will equip us for these next few days. That like manna, we'll pick up what you've given us. And that we'll take the next few bites of that elephant in these next few days as we endeavor to be faithful teachers and to be faithfully taught in whatever situations we may face in these next few days, between now and next Sunday. And God, then I pray that you'll prop us back up as teachers. I pray that you'll prop me back up next week. Giving myself margin, giving others margin, that we'll realize and enjoy that, first of all, we have in Christ the Alpha Teacher. We have in Christ the perfect word and the perfect truth. Lord, I pray that together we will cling to him, whether we have a big T teacher or are a big T teacher or a little T teacher. That what will fuel our teaching in family and home and in corporate gatherings or small group gatherings will be true enjoyment of Christ. Lord, I pray the outcome of that will be that we are transformed to look more like him. I pray the outcome of that will be that in those areas where we don't look like him at all, that those things over time will die, that they'll change, and that we'll together worship, enjoying how you transform us as we just eat meals week after week. Lord, I'm thankful for the teachers that have made a difference in my life. I'm thankful for the times that I've been taught by people in this room even. I look forward to the times that I will be taught. I'm thankful that you're a teaching God. May we endeavor to be a taught people. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Supper this morning is from Luke chapter 22. You can turn there with me if you like. Or you can just listen. I want to encourage you, if you are... Not trusting Christ as your Savior and Lord to not take this this supper. It's not a snack. Um, It's not lunch. It's a time where God's people, those who are trusting Him in faith, who have placed our faith and trust in Him to save us, um, where we remember the work of the cross. So if you're not doing that and haven't done that, then please don't take this supper. If you are trusting Him, though, I encourage you to come take and eat. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after that, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's distribute the elements. Something that goes along with teaching, sometimes feeling like, man, you really connected, and other times you feel like, man, I really wish I could have done a better job of that. I'm feeling that this morning. I'm not saying that wanting to, um, not, not, it's not a baited statement, so you, anybody will come up to after and say, no, man, I really thought it was great. Don't do that, okay? But I, <laughs> I, I care what you think, but I don't, that's not why I'm saying that. This is one of those mornings where you just, it may be a little less dry than it was last week. Last week was a story, and we were all really into it. But this one might be a little bit different. A little bit, maybe you're thinking, okay? Maybe some of this stuff's going on. Um, I, I, I want to encourage you. Let me, let me just boil this thing down as we take this supper. Because I think it, when we take the supper each week, not only are we enjoying what Christ has done, but in some ways we we're, should couple that with, Lord, may we walk in what we've heard today. So let me synthesize and condense for you if I could, uh, in just a couple of sentences, what, what we just spent the last little while on. If you love people, you teach them. And it won't be perfect. Not you nor your message. But you do it anyway, trying to be like Christ, trying to be some measure of reflection of what he's done for you with others. You stand on people's shoulders. I hope you're standing on some people's shoulders, the people that have taught you people that loved you. I hope you're on those shoulders right now. I hope folks that are here for a period of time know that you are, you are loved. Though imperfectly, you are loved. And I hope that what we say each week, that that's a vehicle, that that helps. But I hope that what you hear each week is uber, uber faithful. I hope it doesn't scratch your ears. I hope it helps sometimes. Sometimes you have an itch and scratch, but that's not what it's about. I hope it's equipping you to then go do and walk in what you've heard. The encouragement for me from this sermon would not be, hey, man, I thought it was great. No, I don't know where, I don't know where you got that idea. That's, sometimes folks will do that if I express that. The encouragement for me this morning would be that I see some dads who've never opened their pie hole about faith matters in their home. Step out, those sloppy, fumbling, frail, and try and talk about Jesus with their family. Just start, let's start right there. Just try and talk about what you heard. Let's start right there. And let's talk, some of the moms that are leading your families by yourself, that you'll just talk. You'll just, man, engage in the love for your children, the love that you have for them, that it will compel you to teach them. Even if you don't have a big TT in front of your name, whatever. You just can't not, you can't help but teach. I hope that'll be true in, in, your, in your friendships. 
that you'll see moments to speak into circumstances that people you love and care about will be in. And you'll realize, I was equipped for that. Just a couple, within the last couple of sermons, if I could just even imagine, think about the, the dots that it can be connected. I was equipped for that. It's like manna. It showed up just in time and just enough. And I can speak into that with some authority because it came from God's word. And I can couple that with love and affection for who I'm speaking to. Man, I, that's what I hope for in this people. I see it happening all the time in you. We can always grow in it. We can always grow in it. All of us can grow in that. As we take and eat and drink today, let's endeavor to be a teaching and taught people. Wherever we may go, whoever we may come in contact with, God, through your work of the Holy Spirit, make us a teaching and taught people. Let's take and eat in faith. Let's take and drink in faith. Let's continue in song.